Good morning. Nice to see all of you today. Hope your uh, weekend has been going well. And um, uh, I know that you've uh, already heard some of the announcements in the bulletin, so I won't repeat all those. I will mention that right about now and maybe within a, a few minutes, uh, our youth group will be leaving Gatlinburg, Tennessee to make their way back home. Uh, Thirteen kids and five adults. And uh, it's about a, without any real stops and any real problems with traffic, about 13 hours. And so they'll get home sometime after midnight tonight, driving straight through. So please remember them. And as you're going through your day or uh, stopped at a light or whenever you have an opportunity, say a prayer uh, for them and uh, pray that they arrive safely without any problems. Um, So how many of you gave or received a Valentine's card, candy, or gift this past week? Anybody? Yeah? A few? Okay. Um, For those that didn't get one, did you give one? Uh, Did some of you who gave one? uh, No, let's see. uh, What did I say? So some of you who got one gave one, and then if you uh, didn't get one, uh, or if you didn't give one, then you got one. But (laughs) I'm going to talk about that in a minute. (laughs) So maybe I can get it straight in my head by that time. It was perfect in Spanish, so I don't know what happened. When I walked over here, it kind of got jumbled there. Um, I can almost guarantee that at some point in one of the cards or the candies or something that you got, there was a heart. Because in our world today, hearts have come to symbolize love, affection, caring, all those wonderful positive emotions, right? But did you know that in the Bible, the heart was not the source of all those things? That the source of all those emotions like love and caring were a a little bit lower. (laughs) The intestines. The old King James Version says the bowels. That's where love comes from. Well, that's a bit odd, yeah? (laughs) And, And you know what the heart is good for in the Bible? You know what comes out of the heart? person's thinking, the deepest desires, the will. And so throughout this lesson, as I talk about the heart of God, I'm referring to God's desire, his will for us. What is it that he really wants? Because it's easy with religion, and in our case with Christianity, in the case of the Jewish people, they're Judaism, it's easy to get sidetracked and put our emphasis on things that aren't really at the heart of what God's concerns are. So our text today is Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through the rest of the chapter, which is verse 48. It's a bit of a lengthy reading. And so I want to do a couple things just to kind of prepare us for this reading. And the first is to remember that last week, In the verses prior to our text for today, Jesus said two things that are extremely important that will help us understand what he's saying today. The first thing he said is that Jesus did not come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. He came to show what it's really all about. He came to show us what God's intent was from the very beginning. Don't get sidetracked with the super superficial stuff, think past that and get to the heart. And Jesus came to show us that heart. 
And then the second thing that Jesus tells us is that our righteousness, if we want to draw near to God, our righteousness, our ethical behavior must surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So to help us understand what he's talking about, he's going to give six examples. And the examples are going to be in the way of a contrast. He's going to say, you have heard it said, or you have heard, but then I say this. He's not necessarily saying this is what the law of God said. It's rather this is what people like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law have said about it. So sometimes there's the actual text of the Bible, but sometimes it's a kind of an interpretation. But all of it's referring to what they believed. He's not saying that the law was wrong. What he's saying is the way they understood it was wrong. And he came to show us how to go deeper into God's true heart. So we're going to start reading in Matthew chapter 5. You can look for it on your phone, uh, uh, in your Bible, or you can follow along on the screen. I've underlined the part where uh, Jesus begins the contrast. You have heard it said, or you have heard of old, and then, but I say to you. So the first one, in verse 21, Matthew 5, You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you're on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. This contrast, murder on the one hand, and then Jesus says, no, it really goes a lot deeper than just murder. It begins with anger with resentment, with frustration in your heart. The second contrast, verse 27, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. We understand adultery is the physical act of having sexual relationship with someone who is not your spouse. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye... Even your good eye, which tends to be the right eye for majority of people. If your eye causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, most people tend to be right-handed, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now... Before we continue, let me just say this is not a literal command to be followed. In ancient times, people, some, believed this. If we were to put this into practice, all of us would have an eye patch and we would be missing a hand. Jesus is saying something else much more profound and much deeper. So we'll talk about that in just a minute. The third contrast. You have heard that the law says... A man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. 
That was Deuteronomy chapter 24. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Now, each one of these contrasts probably has, I don't know how many books written about them, just in and of themselves. And each one of these contrasts could be an entire sermon or even an entire series. A number of years back, I did a series on divorce and remarriage, and that went for 13 weeks. And so we're not going to get into all the intricacies of what all of this means in this morning's lesson, but we're kind of taking a 30,000 or 40,000 foot view and looking at the bigger picture of what's do, uh, what Jesus is doing. So we're going to leave it at that for now, and I'll come back and say one or two things about this in a minute. The fourth contrast. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. And that's really important. This is not something that we're very familiar with. Uh, most of the stuff up to this point are, uh, we can relate to. We know about murder. We know about adultery. We know about divorce. But vows, we don't really make them, except when we were kids, we would promise something. And if we didn't want to have to fulfill it, what would we do? Cross our fingers and hide it behind our back. Or sometimes we'd cross our toes that were inside our shoes. So that part of it we understand. Well, what the Jewish people had done was that they made all these laws and these little rules that if you made a promise and you vowed to the Lord, then you had to do it. But if you said to by the earth or, or by Jerusalem or some other thing, then all bets were off. And it was just this little game they played to get out of commitments. And so Jesus says... You heard that you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, don't make any vows. Don't say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And don't say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And don't say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. And don't even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. And in my case, the hairs that don't turn white turn loose. And that's a whole different situation. Jesus says, just say, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Just flat out say, yes, I will do this, and your word is your bond. Or no, I can't, or I won't, and your word is all that it takes. You don't have to say, I promise, really, really, for real. None of those words are necessary for a Christian. The fifth contrast, you have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, that, that's kind of gruesome for us, isn't it? If, if I get in a fight with someone and they punch me and, and I lose a tooth, so then that means I can walk over and say, okay, let me punch you and let me take your tooth out. Well, that sounds kind of gruesome, but what it actually does is it keeps me from doing what I want to do, which is cut his head off. We tend to go a little bit extreme when it comes to vengeance and getting even. And getting even isn't even. And so this law, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, was a way to limit retribution to just what had happened. But Jesus says that's the wrong attitude. Don't worry about matching your vengeance. What I say, Jesus says, is don't resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek as well. 
If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. The last contrast is perhaps the most difficult, but it leads to the conclusion of where Jesus wants to take us. You have heard that the law says, love your your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, the law never said, hate your enemy. And that's why love your neighbor is in quotation mark, because that is the law. But what they understood was, well, if I love my enemy, then what am I going to do with the, if I love my neighbor, what am I going to do with the people I don't like? Well, let's just hate them. But I say, don't put your emphasis on loving your, uh, your neighbors. Put your emphasis and your energy in loving your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Do you want to be a child of God? Then love your enemies. For he gives, the Father gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. If you only give valentines to the people who give you valentines, that's not real love. You're just keeping track. And if you keep track of every single gift that you've received and you only give gifts to the people that first gave you a gift, then we're missing the whole point of generosity. So the goal is to be perfect, just as our Father in heaven is perfect. Now, each of these contrasts, Jesus takes something that was very familiar and believed and says, we need to go deeper. We need to go higher and we need to go deeper. Avoiding the physical act of killing someone is good. But you can actually hurt someone to their core and not hurt their body. And he says that anger and insults that alienate us from other individuals can be just as harmful as if I killed that person. And so reconciliation is a high priority. And that's why reconciliation, Jesus says, is even higher than offering a gift at church or in the synagogue. Don't commit adultery. A person could come to the end of their life and say, I never slept with anyone else. But that doesn't mean that they loved their partner. That doesn't mean they were faithful to their partner at every moment. So true love is not only avoiding certain acts, it obviously includes that, but true love in what God wants is something that goes much deeper. It's where the husbands and the wives say, I only have eyes and I only have hands for my spouses or my spouse, the one that I love. Divorce. Divorce in Jesus' day was kind of a a sham because it was one-sided. Women were not allowed to divorce men, and so women were at the mercy of whatever the guys wanted to do. And so Jesus is saying, 
we're not talking about the technical legal permissions. It's going beyond do you have a right and have you kept track of this? What he's saying is the relationship should be pursued at all costs and only in the most extreme of situations as a last resort, not a first resort. And yet, in Jesus' day, all it took was one, and all it took was a trip to the rabbi, and all it took was a permission. Don't break your vows. Just say yes or say no. You don't have to say, double dog dare you, or uh, 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 cross my heart and hope to die. You don't have to say any of the things. Just stay true to your word. The idea of, do, of, of not taking revenge, I think, is also pretty clear. The responses or the examples that Jesus gives, though, are, are a bit challenging because it almost makes us feel like we're just a doormat, that people can do whatever they want. And actually what Jesus is doing is he's giving us the initiative to say, I choose this path of generosity. I choose this path of assertiveness. I will choose to give whatever it is that's being asked, and I will choose to give more. And so rather than being a passive victim, we become active, proactive followers of God and sons and daughters of God. The the last about hating our enemies, I don't think we've learned very well. Uh, It doesn't take very long for you to spend on Facebook to, to realize that uh, there's a lot of hate on Facebook and there's a lot of hate between Christians and, um, and the people that we don't love are often people who have political ideas different than us. Uh, they might have different color skin than us. They might speak a different language than us. They might come from a different uh, country. And at some level, we feel justified in expressing our vitriol and our hatred for those individuals. Well, Jesus would say, if you ever feel the temptation to say something mean or hateful to someone, there's your enemy. Don't write it. Don't post it. Pray for that person and find out how you can build a relationship. We pride ourselves on loving one another. And that's good and that's important. But that's just so easy. That's like elementary school or preschool stuff. Jesus wants us to be mature. He wants to be perfect. And to have that kind of love that is truly perfect and mature, you get to where you look like God who loves even the people who hate him, who loves the people who spit at him, who loves the people who diss him. He loves the people who loves the people that insult him. And all, all throughout scripture, God himself is the standard. We should be holy because he is holy. We should love because he is love. We should be perfect because he is perfect. Now, the big picture is that this is a lot more difficult than it sounds. It is easy, relatively speaking, to read 
But I think the fact that we are where we are suggests how difficult it is. I, I have a friend um, who's a preacher, and he's a spiritual director, and he's an author. And he spends a lot of time with non-believers, people that didn't grow up in church and really don't have much interest in church. And so Chris says, um, I get this question a lot. The question is, why are so many Christians jerks? <laughs> it's not a bad question. I wish you wouldn't have to ask it. But it's a true question. And what he suggests in his experience is that there's this difference that he's realized in people who believe I've arrived versus I'm on my way and I'm on this journey. A.W. Tozer wrote years ago that one of the greatest problems dating back to the early church was that of the static Christian. The static Christian are those and churches are those who believe they have arrived. They've fulfilled the commitments, I've, the requirements. I've done what I'm supposed to do and now all I have to do is just kind of sit back. John Ortberg refers to boundary-based Christianity, uh, meeting certain milestones. Okay, I've got to be baptized. Okay, I did that, so I'm good. Uh, you got to go to church every Sunday. Well, I get, you know, two out of three or four, two out of four, so I'm good. I go most times, I go more times than I don't. I, I take the Lord's Supper every week, so that means I'm good. And, and the problem is that when we just put our energy on meeting those bare minimum requirements, and then we kind of kick back, we lose the whole point of what Jesus wants us to do. He's wanting to take us deeper into a relationship with the Father. And the goal is not some command to be baptized or the command to go to church or the command to do whatever. The goal is to be like God. To be complete and whole and perfect. There's just something comforting about a list that we can check things off of. It just makes us feel like we're progressing, like we're getting somewhere. And do's and don'ts have the advantage that you don't really need wisdom. You don't need to think through things. Just do it. And then you're good. But the hard choices... The subtle nuances are sometimes so much beyond just saying a simple do it or don't do it. And Jesus leads us into the heart of God himself. I don't remember where I was, but I was watching a Christian sports activity for young people. And this was a league of... Sports teams within churches of Christ, okay? And, and as many of these leagues will do is at the end of the game, you're supposed to congratulate the other players. It's gotten to a point in some sports where you don't congratulate the other players, you just congratulate yourself. You make a little circle and you high-five one another. Tennis, you still have to uh, uh, congratulate your opponent that you've just spent three hours just grunting at and yelling at, and, and then after you go and say, good match, good match. Well, that was the rule. You had to shake your opponent's hand. That was the law. 
And then I saw something that just turned my stomach and said, you know, we're, we're missing it. <laughs> because before the kids went to shake their opponent's hand, what did they do? Spit in it and then gave their hand. And you think, now, how far can you get from what the law says, shake your opponent's hand, and what the heart of the law would mean is appreciate someone who did a good job in their sport, their activity, whatever it is. And unfortunately, as a people, we've been a lot better at the law part and not so good about delving deeper into the heart. And so the challenge for us this week is to hear Jesus and to really understand that I'm on a journey. And my goal is to be a little bit more like God tomorrow than I was today. And the goal is to look a little bit more like God, to have a little bit more of his heart and his passion and his concern. Because remember what Jesus said. He came to show us what the law should look like when it's lived out in a person, and Jesus showed that. But then the second thing, my righteousness has to look a little bit different than someone who's just checking off the boxes. So this is something that you won't do today. You won't get it done today. You won't get it done tomorrow. You won't get it done next month. This is a lifelong quest. And that's why we need family. It's a long journey. It's a marathon. And we need one another to support, to encourage, arms to hold us up and shoulders to cry on. So if we can do that for any of you today, for any of your concerns, we would love to do so. Uh, You can come to the front. You can write us a note. You can send me an email, text, whatever. Uh, We want to help you in this lifelong journey into a deeper relationship with God. Let's all stand and sing.